Welcome back to MinAdopts Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Chris, and I'm an education coordinator here at MinAdopt. And I'm Sunny, also an education coordinator here at MinAdopt. Welcome to part four of our series, The Making of Flipping the Script. Today we have Daisy Leonard with us. In our first three podcasts, we discussed Daisy and her sister Coco's adoption journey into self-discovery as they visited India to work with youth during their gap year. India is Coco's birth country and China is Daisy's birth country. The original plan was to visit only India and China to share their newly developed workbook called Flipping the Script. However, their plans have changed. Daisy is still in India working at Coco's orphanage and soon Coco will be traveling to Peru to work with youth there. So during this podcast, Daisy will update us on the making of Flipping the Script in India. So Daisy, how has the process of flipping the script been, giving the experiences you have encountered these past few months? Yeah, so it's been a rocky, wild ride. Um, it has felt incrementally slow and yet moving way too fast. Um, it's been a little bit like kind of if you were if you were you know blind and in a dark room and you like were touching things to make sure you know where they are and kind of moving forward that's kind of how it's felt um and so to start these past few months have definitely humbled um Coco and I um we've learned a lot but what we've kind of realized too is that uh, we've only just begun to kind of scratch the surface of of the complex layers of what we're dealing with, who we're working with, the youth, the culture, um, Pune in general as a city. Um, and so our first week um, in, that we were there, we visited the ASHA um, kind of community building with the ASHA staff and the girls. And just a little background on ASHA, they are, they're an organization that originally started um, to help uh, domestic violence um, and to help women who are coming from domestic uh, violence figure out and learn their legal rights. Um, but they always came with children. And so the organization created a youth program for them um, and a place to kind of, you know, have a space that is safe. But then it kind of grew and morphed over the last 20 years into something that really helps these girls um, get education. Um, the way that the Indian education system works is it's not really about the school it's about the um like the extra tutoring um and aids that you have on the side so in in a sense if you don't have the money to buy that then you're not going to get as far in education so it's kind of it 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 creates a wealth gap um, that you can see very clearly. So Asha works a lot with these girls to help them get education, have donors, a lot of American donors. Um, and my mom had actually previously worked with them, which is how I know and connected with them. Um, so we met with them and, you know, the Asha staff met us very graciously and, and excited. Um, and we were very excited and, and, and feeling really grateful for them. But what was interesting is that there was different... Um, reactions to us. Um, and so that was our first kind of, um, we think of ourselves maybe a little bit like social scientists, not officially, but just, you know, kind of like studying and learning, like what are these different dynamics happening in society? Um, and so kind of upon reflection, we kind of wondered 
you know, why were some smiling at us and others couldn't look us in the eye? Why were some reaching to touch us, but others were super far away? Um, you know, that was just kind of interesting to us, those behaviors. But what we didn't want to do is assume that situation or assume certain things. And so this, this kind of led to a line of questioning that, you know, I think that a lot of people who are coming from these foreign worlds, especially the Western world to help, and I say help in quotations, um, to help these kind of poorer or lesser um, stable communities um, is what, why do they really, like, what do they really think of you coming here, you know? And so then that kind of led into a, um, a lot of thinking about, um, you know, a lot of different possibilities. Maybe they were feeling resentful of, of, you know, Americans and kind of the arrogance that we are known for. Maybe they are, um, maybe they're resentful also because they've only had independence for 75 years. But before that, the Brit the British exploited um, and had controlled them for so long and their fight was so painful. I mean, there's so many different dynamics. Um, and, you know, maybe the reputation of Americans, um, maybe they're curious. I mean, Coco and I were adopted and we look so different from each other, you know. And like I said in the last podcast, we're used to looking different, to not fitting in. But that doesn't mean people are used to looking at us. Um, and so, you know, they they probably they, maybe they were thinking that, you know, it's weird that Coco and I don't look alike. Maybe, the, you know, what's even weirder is that Coco looks like them, comes from their city, has their Indian blood, yet is completely westernized, has no idea what they're saying in Marathi and, you know, can't connect with them on this language level and this cultural level that is so important. Um, and so it, it must have been a weird experience for them. Um, and that kind of opens up to the conversation of, you know, it can be really dangerous when, you know, you're in a city or a country or a place that you don't understand a lot about. And so you assume certain situations for what they are in terms of your own lens, because it's safer. It's safer and it's easier to figure out think you're figuring out what the what the problem is diagnosing it and then troubleshooting or fixing it even though that may not actually be the answer and so for Coco and I you know we talked about how we were um we created a nonprofit and we worked with the Togolese girls who were constantly you know saying thank you thank you thank you and all that stuff and so what we learned for that situation specifically is that with especially with Africa versus the Western power, it's always been this power imbalance, you know? So they were, because we had given them money, we had sponsored their education. Um, and one thank you is enough, maybe two, okay. But it was this, it was a certain like like this head down, kind of not looking in our eyes, um, kind of this like we just need to like we need to do whatever we need to do to get this education to, to, you know, and it was just very disempowering, I think, for the Togolese girls until we did the book club and where we really connected on a human level and took away the money and took away the power dynamics. Um, and so Kokomo and I, to be honest, we kind of made the assumption that the Indian girls would feel the same too and that they would feel inferior 
in a sense, because, I mean, we are coming with the things that they don't have, you know, um, we have more opportunities. We, Coco and I have enough money to be able to be here, you know, for a year to do this work. You know, there's just different things. Um, and it's actually why I met with the AFSHA team today um, is because I wanted to clarify their response and why it was the way it was. Um, and she said that it was because um, they were all very curious, um, but the idea of inferior inferiority, it was not a problem. They did not feel inferior, actually. In fact, um, they, in their, in their, in their belief and, you know, their set of values, they believe in giving and giving what you can. Um, and so if the American communities, it happens to be, can give more than that spine, but that education that they're getting out of it, what's really cool that I just learned is that what happens is that education um, makes the family start listening to them, makes the elders and the men start listening to them. And then when the women are making the decisions and starting to have that control, it flips the gender imbalance that has been such a problem for so long in India um, and around the world in general. So that was a really cool point that I, I just wanted to bring up. But anyway, so yeah, those first few weeks kind of made us really consider what are we putting on these girls? What are we assuming about their situations that aren't necessarily legit. Now, that isn't necessarily to do with the flipping the script work, but at the same time, I do think it's a really important concept to understand if you want to do this kind of work in another country, especially. Um, and so after kind of building a connection with them, we also wanted to create journals and kind of have them make their own junk journals that they can, you know, a safe place that will not be read by anyone else, but they have a safe place to write out these emotions. Um, and so for adopted parents, especially um, that idea of, you know, being able to like clear it all out, to say what you need to say, to know which emotion you're feeling, you know, that is so powerful. And it's something that I grew up with that really helped me because um, like I said, as an adoptee, um, there's another layer of, there's another layer of trauma. Um, and, you know, life, life is traumatic, you know, things happen to us, but as uh, a kid coming from trauma, um, there's just everything for me felt more amplified and enhanced, you know, and there, there are these feelings that were so specific, you know, I, and sometimes I would feel angry, but sometimes I would feel aggressive and those are two different things, you know? And so I think for, especially for adoptive parents, helping your kid understand how to use those emotions is really key. And that is what we are trying to do with the Asha girls is trying to figure out how can we give these girls these emotions as a tool to use to better explain and declutter their minds because emotions are kind of like they're kind of like um a dirty room um in a sense where they're not they're not bad nothing in that room is bad but they're all over the place and they kind of just make us feel a little stressed out sometimes, or, you know, we can't find certain things or we don't know where things are. And that is the emotions of our mind. That's how it works. Um, and so we had those journals that they made. Um, and then we did, we wanted to start with the workbook, but when we learned, we had to take a step back. 
um, not only in terms of how we're looking at these girls and what we're assuming, but we also had to like logistically, the emotion wheel that we use, which is a very big tool in the workbook um, to kind of help, you know, kind of, and for those of you who haven't seen an emotion wheel, it's basically like, if you picture one circle, like the inner circle, um, and you picture the emotions sad and angry and um, disgusted and happy. Um, if you picture those emotions in the center and they're big and they have a color around each of them, then spread them out a little bit. So then in the category of disgusted, you might have humiliated and you might have um, disapproving. Um, you know, and like just start extending that circle out more. And then you have even more subcategories of emotions. And that's how that emotion wheel works. So there's around 100 emotions in that wheel. Um, and so what happens is we're, we're trying to do that, but it turns out they don't, that emotion wheel is in Emirati and it takes native local speakers to understand the nuance between the emotions and translating them. So the Asha team has been absolutely phenomenal in translating all of it. And then we've been giving a lot of examples and definitions. And we've been also trying to connect our mind our, with our body. Um, and this is obviously a very well-known concept, but it's something that we were trying to really emphasize too in this, um, you know, kind of when we were giving out the definitions, which is exactly the stage that we're in right now, um, is going through all of these emotions and helping them understand the nuance of it and how to apply it um, and use it to their benefit. And so we've been connecting their emotions with their body. Um, so like, for example, one girl, she, she was telling me about how she, and we'll call her Annika for this example, but she was telling me about how she felt the word, the word that we were talking about was awful. That was the emotion. And it was an underneath the category disgusted. Um, and this is one that a lot of girls actually clung on to. And she was saying it was so awful to watch um, a boy get beaten in their class, in math class, and not being able to do anything about it. Um, and so those are kind of those really important anecdotes that are coming out and that they need to talk about. They need to put those emotions on that example. Um, and even more so, they need to help start associating even more emotions with that example. So then I was like, well, why was it awful? I mean, obviously it's awful that this boy is getting beaten, um, but why is it awful for you? I mean, obviously, you know, you're watching and you're a human being and you're feeling and suffering, but like, what does it have to do with you? And, and she was saying, I felt helpless. And it's like, okay, there's another emotion. I feel helpless because I can't help you. I can't do anything for you and I don't have the power. And so then we connect it to our body. Where in your body do you feel it? And she was like, I felt this, this pressure in my chest and I felt this queasiness in my stomach. And I felt this, this kind of heaviness in my shoulders. And that makes sense because our shoulders hold a lot of our baggage, you know, literally and metaphorically. Um, and so, as I said, this is really a really great tool to 
for um, adoptees as well. So every time I was in a situation where I was getting triggered, um, and even now, even especially now, now that I'm in India, like my journal is my best friend. And I write out three words every day, every day that I'm, I'm going through something. I write out three words when I am walking into the ASHA building for a session and I feel, I feel terrified. You know, I feel terrified because I'm dealing with girls that are vulnerable and I'm asking them to put themselves out there and I don't want to break their trust. I feel um, sometimes I feel hopeful that I think that things will go well and things will work out and we're going to we're going to get through this and they're going to come out better. I'm going to come out better. And then sometimes I just feel a little like. numb. sometimes I'm just like, you know what, this is going to happen. I'm doing my best. This is all I can give. And that's it, you know, so but it's that emotions that are really powerful and important. Um, and I could go on and on and on and on about the anecdotes and stuff like that. But that's that's in summary where we are at with the um, with the flipping the script. So we're building in that really important foundation for when we open up that book and when we do that. Great. It sounds like you're also coming in in touch with your own emotions. And yes, you can, yes. You can point to where you are on the emotion wheel as well. So yes, how yes. Have, how have the youth in India enriched your life? Enriched my life? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean it's it's amazing. I I I, I will add I do Taekwondo because I'm I'm a black belt in Taekwondo and we, they kind of found out that I do that and then they're really excited and they wanted to learn it and then it ended up being a really cool opportunity for these younger girls especially to get out like their aggression their energy their stress all of that um and as I always say hitting a paddle is way better than hitting a face um but for in terms of like my own like like I like I I feel amazing I just feel so happy like when I have a kid who comes up to me after class with her parent and her parent can't stop talking about her, her child who's talking about Taekwondo in the class and how she always wants to be there for the class and that she is feeling strong and empowered and that she can, she feels like she can walk to the bus stop, um, you know, maybe with her brother, but also just feeling like she, she's, she's in, in charge of her body. She's in charge of her, herself, you know? And then another girl told me, um, it was so cute. She came running into class and she was all sweaty. And I was like, oh, like, you know, um, Abani, wh wh where were you? Um, and, and, and cause it was, it was only like two minutes into class. And she was like, I ran all the way here. And I'm like, what do you mean you ran all the way here? And she's like, I couldn't get a ride. And so, but I knew that today was Taekwondo and I had to come. And so she ran like all the way over to, to the community building that we were we were working in and it's 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 amazing because she I mean specifically her she comes from a, a poor um economic standing and so sometimes when girls come from that place they're more vulnerable you know they just are and they 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 and so I think that her her what she said to me is that she feels more um she feels stronger. She feels more capable than herself. Um, and most importantly, what that empowerment looks like is the, you know, the feeling of self, you know, really just being aware of herself 
and what she can give and what she can do. And so I don't, I, I try not to foster like overconfidence, you know, you should not like just go off now. Now you, your little eight-year-old self should not just go off to, you know, your bus stop alone like that, that you shouldn't do that, but just understanding yourself more and understanding what you can do physically. It was really empowering. So I, I, I get a lot from that. I love it. So what similarities have you witnessed between the youth in India and the youth in America? Um, that's a good question. I mean, the fact is, is yeah, there's more similarities than there are differences. Um, I will say, I mean, like, you know, there's going really quickly through it. I mean, they all want to have fun. They all want to talk about, I mean, I mainly hang out with girls because ASHA is a, a program for girls. So like girls in America, they all, they all want to look beautiful, to wear makeup, to take selfies. Um, they all want to, uh, they want to talk about boys. They want to talk about fashion. They want to talk about their feelings. They do, you know. Um, they want to, you know, they want to travel. They want to go to the UK. They want to go to Canada. They want to go to Switzerland. They want to go everywhere. I will say one interesting thing about the, the, the difference, and I think it's something that is in general an identity thing, but also specifically for adoptees too, is um, sometimes like the, the I've, I've noticed, and I, I can't say specifically because Coco knows this more than I do, um, being an Indian person in America with an Indian community that is kind of that diaspora uh, from India. Um, so what, what we've kind of seen is that, you know, the Indian people here, the Indian teens, they're just Indian teens, you know, um, growing up, living their life, living their traditions, but in America, I, I almost kind of think that it's more enhanced, the idea of being Indian, that identity piece. Um, there's more Bollywood involved in the, like the, like the young people here don't like Bollywood at all, you know, because it's something they've grown up with. And it's something that's so cliche of India that it's almost gross, you know. But then in, in America, though, for the Indian teens who are trying to feel closer to their home country and closer to being Indian and their identity, um, Bollywood is, is a very big thing, you know, um, and same with, um, you know, saris, like, I mean, Indian, Indian kids definitely wear saris, um, but it's a little different because, you know, sometimes Western clothing is more preferred, whereas a lot of the times, like, Indian girls in America, not all of them, some of them, want to wear more of the saris and wear more of the lehengas and that clothing because it helps them feel more close to being Indian. And that was Coco. That's how Coco felt a lot, um, is, you know, listening to Indian music, kind of just reaching for what she doesn't necessarily have right in front of her, um, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that the, the cultures have kind of flipped. And we've seen that a lot, even like, even like with the Muslim community too, like, um, like in like we we had Pakistani friends and they um, were saying that when they were in Pakistan they never they never really practiced their their uh, kind of Muslim faith they didn't really go to the mosque or anything like that but when they went when they came here in America they went all the time because it was where their community 
knew was a safe place to join together and to keep their culture alive in a new place. So that's kind of the idea of it. Okay, so in, in kind of conclusion, um, as a takeaway for uh, adoptive parents, um, fostering this kind of, I call it emotional fluency, um, is something that obviously takes time. And it's something that like I grew up with. I grew up speaking it because my mom would always say, give me three words. Or she would tell, she would ask me to like just dive deeper into like what a situation is and not necessarily like what happened, but why it happened. What was I thinking in that moment? Um, and then finally, like one last anecdote that I have is that this girl, she, because um, we had this journaling activity where they, after we talked about, um, I think maybe 10 or 15 different words, we had talked about um, having them write down um, their three favorite words and then tell writing down a personal anecdote or a personal story that they have encountered with those words. Um, and now this is covering the category disgusted. So we have a variety of things to choose from, including, you know, awful and embarrassed and appalled and humiliated and all of these emotions. Um, and so there was this one girl and she had been silent the whole entire time that we were um, we were we were talking about it because when we share the definitions of these words, they we had them, you know, talk about it, share stories you know, whatever, through discussion. And she was completely silent throughout all of it. And so she, I honestly didn't think that she was even going to write because she was very hesitant to even pick up her pen and write anything in the journal. And if she didn't write anything, that's fine too. But, you know, it's, it, we would hope for that. And, um, and so anyway, she, she was kind of looking off into the distant, you know, kind of looking off. And then she, looks down at her at her journal, she starts writing. And as she, as the minutes go by, her head just starts going lower and lower and lower into her journal. And she's just, now she's completely in her own world. And you can just see that, you know? Um, and we don't ever want to cut them off from journaling either, wrap them up from it. And um, and so, but then, you know, it was about 30-ish minutes. And we were like, oh, we need to, we need to move on. They need to go to school. And this girl just sat there and she didn't move. And she would not, she would not put down her pen until she was done. And I greatly commend her for that. I think that that is very important. You need to follow through on whatever it is you're doing, especially that kind of work. Um, but that's kind of where it's like the, the takeaway from that especially from a parent perspective, I hope that helps, is um, sometimes holding space for that person is really important. But then also understanding that like the way that you interpret success or the way that you interpret how their process should be is not always correct. I interpreted, I thought that the process of the emotions when I first came is that we're going to start with the workbook. We're going to get through this. We're going to do it all. And it's like, no, success moves at a slower pace. And that is okay. And same with her. Her success wasn't based on like whether she could talk in a group or get her voice out there or be heard. It was, can she write in this journal? Can she give herself time? Can she trust in this space that she has for herself? And so that's what I would say is that that processing is, is different for everyone. And as a parent, I know it can be, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but I, I, I think like as, as uh, 
a person here in India doing this kind of work, I, I understand the struggle to like put your expectation or your idea on how things should happen. Well, Daisy, it has been such a joy getting to know you for the last month. And I think, want to thank you and your sister for bringing us along on this journey. And I know your journey isn't over yet. You still have a lot of work that you want to do. Um, and I'm excited to find out like that finished result. So how can we keep in touch and keep keep track of all of your exciting new journeys? Yeah. So um, you can always find us on Instagram. We are under flipping the script adventures um, under case um, of whatever that underscore um, kind of dash is uh, between each word. We're also tagged in the MinAdopt Instagram as well. So you can always find us through their Instagram. Um, we also have a website that is also on that Instagram. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And you have a webinar coming up with MinAdopt in January. Yes. That's it's we're going to have um, for the month of January, a youth series that will be geared more towards youth ages 12 and up and parents and professionals are welcome. Yes. Um, and yes. when is that webinar? Um, I think that webinar is going to be January 9th. No, the 26th. Yes, yes. it'll be it'll be January 26th um, at 8 p.m. And it uh, Central Standard Time. And we'd, be, we'd love for all of our listeners to come and kind of learn more. We'll be presenting on the actual concept of flipping the script um, and kind of the ideology and application of it um, in terms of, of use. Well, and you've given me a lot of hope for our youth in the future, I know. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I, I'm... Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm very grateful for platforms and communities like this one who are one there for everyone, um, reminding us that we're not alone, but also to lift voices up and to, to share those really important perspectives. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Okay, well, thank you, Daisy, for being here. And thank you to our audience so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast and tune in again soon.